Lord, we pray today that you will clear our minds and open them to what you would have us learn today. Convict us of the sin we all have in our lives and allow us to live daily in the light of the justification you have provided for us. Draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Last week uh, we studied three of what he calls seven words that capture the new lifestyle that is propelled by the doctrine of God's justifying grace. Today we are going to study the remainder of the seven words. And I might mention that uh, the book we're reading is uh, by Paul David Tripp. There are 12 historical doctrines covered in that book, and this is the ninth one. So we, uh, but we are not continuing on this week, and I'm just uh, urging you to get the book and read the other three doctrines, because that's six chapters in the book. So that, that's kind of where, where we are on that. But this, this week we divided the uh, application uh, chapter into two weeks because there is way too much to uh, cover in, in one week. So we're going to start out with identity, and whoever's got the mic, you're, you're on. Identity. We can hook the issue of identity chapter 18, to the doctrine of justification. Here is another place where it is important to remember that good scriptural theology doesn't just define for you who God is and what he's done, but it also redefines who you are as a child of God. One of the sweet blessings of God's justifying mercies is the new identity that is ours because we are in Christ, forgiven, adopted, and eternally loved children of God. We no longer have to search for identity, meaning, and purpose, because we have these in Christ. And the thing that is so powerful about the identity that is ours as a result of God's justifying mercy is that nothing and no one can take it away from us. Here is the only place to find an identity that is not only heart-satisfying, but also eternally stable. In Christ, forgiven, adopted, and eternally loved by the Father is who we are and who we will be forever. We are freed from having to be something. We are freed from having to prove we are worth something. We are freed from longing for something that will give us importance, prominence, or power. We are freed from being addicted to people's acclaim, respect, appreciation, and love. We are freed from letting accomplishments define us. We are freed from letting titles depict that we have worth. We are free from asking cars, houses, and vacations to be markers of our identity. We are freed from the identity we get from the political tribalism. We are freed from our, getting our identity from being in charge or in control. We are freed from needing to look strong, pre- prepared, capable, and unafraid. We are free from needing to hide our weakness and deny our failures. We are freed from putting on a public face as an attempt to hide what is actually going on inside. Because we don't get our value from how others respond to us, we are freed from bitterness and fantasies of vengeance when we are mistreated. We are freed from the toxic identity, anxieties that haunt us so many, so many of us, that get in the way of what we have been called to do, and that harm, harm, and that harm our relationships, harms. One of the sweet blessings of God's justifying grace is how uh, vertical 
Um, identity frees us from the horizontal identity chaos. Sadly for Rick and Maggie, identity was a huge issue in their marriage. When it came to identity, their marriage was a perfect storm. Although she didn't know it, Maggie had tied her identity and sense of well-being to her marriage. She always felt that she would not be complete until she was married. Her emotions rose and fell with however Rick was treating her on a given day. Rick, being a less than perfect man, would never be able to deliver the security of identity that Maggie was longing for. <clears throat> Rick had tied his identity to business success. He remembers his father saying to him when he graduated from college, now go out and make something of yourself. While Maggie looked to her marriage for hope, Rick's life was more and more dominated by his quest for career success. No career would ever provide Rick with what he was looking for. Their marriage would never work if Maggie moved toward Rick to find herself and Rick to move away from Maggie toward work to find himself. Vertical identity amnesia was wreaking havoc on their marriage and they didn't even know it. Many believers, blind to what they've been given in Christ, run from relationship to relationship, job to job, location to location, and church to church searching for identity. Believers who don't understand the right here, right now blessings of God's grace spend themselves into hopeless debt in search of identity. Parents who fail to understand the nowism of the gospel of justifying grace put the burden of their identity on their children a terrible burden for a child to bear. Pastors forgetting the gospel that they preach ask for ministry to give them identity and end up beaten down, discouraged, and burned out. Teenagers, unaware of the present benefits of the gospel of grace they've been taught, experience all kinds of anxiety and make all kinds of regrettable decisions in search of identity. Christian men, forgetting their vertical identity, Feign strong personality, big muscle, and domineering macho masculinity. Seminary students who are at school to study the gospel attach their identity to theological knowledge and biblical literacy. It's sad to think about how much gospel identity amnesia lives in the church, weakening its function and witness. It is a sweet gift that God's justifying grace we are blessed with the most wonderful and stable identity one could ever hope for. The identity will never fail us, shame us, or be taken away. Every horizontal identity will fail fail us somehow, some way. You can, you can celebrate your inclusion among those who are in Christ, forgiven, adopted, and eternally loved. Be thankful you do not have to frantically search for identity anymore. Be glad that you don't have to ask people, places, experiences, and things to do for you what they were never meant to do and resist the temptation to look horizontally for what you have already been given in the blessings of God's justifying grace in Jesus. The question we're going to discuss is where right now are you looking for identity? Could it be that there is trouble in your life because you are looking around for what you have already been given in Christ? 
I think it's really tough right now, especially being a new mom, to not put my identity in being a mom <laughs> or the perfect mom. And I think that does cause a lot of trouble because I am not perfect at all. And um, so whenever I make a mistake and sin against my child or my husband or anything, I'm like, my whole entire life is falling apart. <laughs> when in reality, it's like, I just need to repent and ask forgiveness and place my identity back where it belongs in Christ and rest secure in that because this is too changeable <laughs> to really feel secure in. You know, Paul, I can say, speak to identity um, in that it's, it's a sneaky little uh, thing that catches up to you. You don't even realize it. I can remember being told as a young police officer, make sure you don't have too many friends that are in law enforcement. You have a healthy balance. Make sure you're spending time with your wife and you're not hanging out with the guys all the time. You know, make sure that you don't uh, get that attitude that you're above the law. You know, all those things. And but as far as I knew, I had followed that. And I, you know, you'd, you'd ask me, yeah, and that, that's not my identity. And then came the last day of the 26th year of me being a police officer. And I remember driving around and I, I drove back to the areas of town I grew up as a young officer. And I'm thinking, I won't have any more authority. I, w I was in leadership. I won't have that anybody looking up to me and appreciating and following me from that perspective. You know, there's even the kid side of you. Some of you guys can relate to this. I won't be able to drive fast anymore with the red and blue lights going and, and have that adrenaline rush anymore. You know, it's amazing. You can tell yourself, oh, I got this. And then when it's taken away, and some of us are older and we have different things that are taken away from us that used to affect our identity, you have to deal with the reality that it snuck in and it became a part of your identity. So some of, when he says amnesia, I would also include in that blindness, meaning that there's a blindness of what we ex think we're doing in addition to the amnesia we have of our gospel identity. So uh, anyways, just a little perspective. And I would add to that focus, um, focus on Christ. Um, I have a, every, every Sunday when we go to the meal, my intent is to have a conversation about the sermon or something about God. And I always, once I get in there, I, I, it just leaves me. And so I start, we start talking about, you know, life on this earth. And so I think that um, it would help identity if we really talk more and encourage each other in Christ, because we take the emphasis off of ourselves then and put it on Christ. And whenever I do that, I just feel so much more joy. So maybe I'm the only one that thinks that way, but that's, I'm getting some heads here, yes. <laughs> Thank you, because otherwise, you know, when you're the lone duck, you just feel odd. And I feel odd a lot of times anyway, so I don't need any more reasons to feel odd. <laughs> Steve, you're next. Uh, in this discussion of identity, uh, in my personal journey, I found the um, Apostles' Creed to be very helpful in establishing a, for lack of a better term, a Christian identity. 
Because when I read through that, I'm reminded of what it really means to what our faith really is, because we believe in God the Father, who is the creator of all things. So right away, I know that I'm not myself. I'm here because of what God has done. And then I believe also in Jesus Christ, our Lord, so I know who I belong to. And um, all the other notes, <clears throat> Holy Spirit, uh, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, these are things that I can do daily. And so I think whatever else I'm doing in my life, these, these are things that uh, any Christian uh, is true about. And so that's helped me to have that proper, who am I as a Christian, despite whatever else I am or doing, so. That's really good, Steve. And, you know, Glenda, part, part of your point is not only the identity that we may smuggle in for ourselves, but we can help each other in terms of identity because how others view you can lead to that identity. Kind of on a, on a, on a fun example, not a serious example, when I say the name Megan, most of us will probably think of dessert, right? Right? And so that's an identity. That's an identity there that we collectively identify Megan with, right? And now that's a positive, that's a, that's a fun one, but uh, I guess in cinematography or filmmaking, it might be typecasting or that type of thing. Um, but not only do we need to see our identity in Christ, we need to see our brothers and sisters' identity in Christ and reinforce that. And if you think of salad, you think of Lita. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Uh, speaking on identity and, and after listening to you, you know, you know, say what you just said and uh, telling you a little bit about myself, you know, last week and, you know, this wonderful um, topic of identity, it, I, I found myself having to, to do that, uh, which, you know, we're all saying, and, and that's put my identity uh, in Christ Jesus, like Paul said, you know, um, To live is Christ. And we know the rest of it, and to die is gain, but that first part, to live is Christ. And that we put ourselves into Christ, put on Christ. And when we find ourselves, or like, for, I'll just speak for myself, when I found myself in every portion of my life having to adjust to a role and be this, like when I was in the military, you have to be this great, great soldier, and you have to do X, and that's who you must be. It's so hard to get to a point where you're, you're, you're doing all these different things, but you have to step back and go, wait, but I'm supposed to be, you know, little Jesus or, or Jesus Jr. You know, that's who I'm supposed to be. Or when you're doing, uh, when you're working with law enforcement or federal organizations, which, which is what I do now, and it's, okay, let's do this. And you find yourself in certain conversations. It's like, wait, is, is this who I am or am I, am I being Jesus? Am I being little Jesus? Am I being Jesus Jr.? And so I found myself getting carried away, you know, with every portion of my life, every role that I found myself into being put into that role. And, you know, just like this is, is saying, to keep reminding myself, writing it down, you know, even saying it to my family and 
uh, my friends and even even at the, the job okay that's who I am I'm Robert Jesus jr. I, I that's who I must be I can't be any other person that's who I must be first that's my identity and all of these other things are other things and they have to fall in line with that identity of being Jesus jr. Okay, let's move along to potential. Now I'm going to look at Lita and think salad. <laughs> oh, I've skipped Gail. I'm so sorry, Gail. Potential. One of the most exciting blessings of God's justifying grace is the new potential that is ours in Christ. With our justification comes new potential to say no to sin and yes to godly living. God doesn't just tolerate his justified ones and he doesn't just accept them. But he also does this incredible thing. He comes and lives inside of them and with his presence everything changes for us. God himself is the new potential for everyone who has received his justifying grace. Consider how Paul talks about this in Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have, have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 8, 9 through 13. This is a life-changing provision for every believer. With our justification comes the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and with him comes resurrection power. We don't have to live according to the desires of the flesh. We can put to death the old life of being dominated by bodily passions and give ourselves to godly living in the situations and relationships of our lives. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Because of God's justifying grace, we never battle the myriad of temptations in this fallen world on our own. The great victor battles on our behalf. We never war with the sin that still lives inside of us on our own. The spirit wars on our behalf, even in those moments when we are too weak to do so. We now have the power to say no to sinful thoughts and desires. We now have the ability to say yes to every righteous thing that God has given, has called us to. We have been fully supplied for the spiritual battle that we will all face until we are on the other side, and the supply is God himself. The greatest gift of our justification is the gift of God himself. This is why James is able to say without hesitation or qualification, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. Satan flees not because of our power, but because of the presence and power of the one who now lives inside of us. The one who defeated him in his life, in his death, and at his resurrection now lives within us. Satan knows he is the defeated foe. 
So, when in the victor's strength we resist, he cuts and runs. This is the hope of every believer as we live in this world where temptation still haunts and indwelling sin still lives. What could be more glorious and at the same time more practical than what we are considering right now? God Almighty living within us, empowering us in the face of temptation, enabling us to desire what is right, and providing for us the strength to do it. We are not just forgiven, not just adopted, not just eternally loved, but we are also given, in the presence of God within us, new potential for a brand new way of living. There is no Christian life without the spirit of the living Christ dwelling within us. Rick and Maggie lived like they had no idea of the potential that was theirs as the children of God. A good marriage is a good marriage because people in the marriage say no. I don't mean they say no to one another. No, I mean they say no to themselves. They say no to the raging emotions, to wrong thoughts, to selfish desires, and they turn and go in different direction. How is it possible to say no? It's possible because of the very blessing that we are talking about here, that is, the amazing blessing of God's powerful presence within us. If you want to destroy your life and relationships, all you have to do is indulge all of the thoughts and desires, go where they lead you, and do what they tell you to do. This is pretty much what Rick and Maggie did. They exercised little internal restraint, and in so doing, they decimated the love, hope, and joy of their marriage. Are you living out of the new potential that is yours because of God's justifying grace? Where are you giving way to thoughts, desires, and temptations that you now have the power to resist? The question we're going to discuss is where in your life and relationships do you need to exercise your power to live in a new way? Between these last two sections with the topic of identity and power to live in a new way in mind, a verse came to my mind that I'd like to share. I don't have any commentary, just the verse itself, um, but I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I thought that that fit well with these two sections. So. Uh, I think in particular uh, the, the potential portion here um, definitely strikes home of uh, it's just an area I've think about it wrong. Um, I've always thought of myself as, you know, I, I, I'm capable of anything. If I, you know, go to school enough, do this enough, network enough at work, you can, you know, what's the difference between me and, and someone else? And then now as a dad, it's, it's with my kids. It's, I see the intelligence that's there. I see the, 
the skills and different uniqueness that God has blessed them with, and it's, okay, well, you have the potential for this, so, you know, if you played with your transformer toy a little less, and we spent a little more time doing this, maybe we could push you and push you and push you, and, and you're going to thank me later in life. And some of these things have truth, but um, the, the area clearly where the potential needs to be seen is far more in the potential for Christian living. It's if you push more and more and more to, to walk like Christ, and I think for me that's overall um, what needs to adjust or what continually needs to be put into check, which is what is my potential on this earth with the time I have in Christ, and how do you maximize that potential? Um, and obviously we have the answers in Scripture. And so uh, taking that, that thought of potential or what I'm capable of achieving as not measured by the barometer of the world, but instead measured by the barometer of Christ, which uh, is a tough stick to, to measure up against. And yet, just even by measuring yourself by the right measurement tool, um, hopefully you're fulfilling a little more of that potential or Christ is allowing more of that potential to be fulfilled. Well, let's move on to values. Values. I know I have value problems. Things in my life rise to levels way beyond their true importance. And when they do, they capture my heart, control my thoughts and desires, and direct my behavior. I can lose sight of what is truly important, what is truly worth living for, and what will truly satisfy, satisfy my longing heart. One of the benefits of God's justifying mercies is the power to clarity and reorient our values. Think of what God did in order to deliver his justifying grace to you. Consider that he carefully ruled over the events of human history so that at just the right time, Jesus would come. Consider the cost of Jesus leaving heaven's splendor to subject himself to all of the harsh experiences of life in this fallen world. Consider the unjust conviction, the horrible physical torture, the public public pain and shame on the, of the cross, and the rejection of his own father, all of which Jesus willingly endured because he understood the eternal value of what he was doing on our behalf. Consider that God has ruled over every situation, location, and relationship of our lives so that we would be exposed to the reality of our own sin and the glorious offer of his forgiving grace. Consider that he gave us the ability to understand these truths and the power to believe them. Consider that he has carefully ruled over the writings, over the writing, delivering, and preserving of his word so that we could know him, trust him, and follow him. Consider the value of the gift of the Spirit to animate this new life that is justifying grace welcomes to us. Consider the value of all that God has done to address the greatest plague of all and the one that infects us all and always leads to death and sin. Rick and Maggie had lost sight of what was truly important in life and death. They argued over the trivial and they can't read that. What's the word? Okay. For what was temporary. The things, was the things they treasured weren't nearly as valuable as they thought they were. They were a couple in desperate need of the value of clarification of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Could there possibly be any treasure of value 
are more valued than this. Is there anything that exists, any, any possessions, any person, any experience, any power, any success, more valuable than the justifying mercy of the Lord and all of the rich blessings that flows from it? The incalculable value of the treasure of God's redeeming reign is captured in two brief parables in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. When then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is God's redeeming reign. These two parables pre present it as a treasure worth giving up everything for. It really is the treasure of treasures. Nothing compares in value to what our redeeming, what our reigning Savior King has done for us. We have to go back again and again and remember again and again the value of God's justifying mercy and let it bless us with reoriented and clarified values. We need to resist letting the value of other things cause us to lose our gospel minds, tempting us to once again search for treasure as if we haven't already been given the greatest treasure that has ever been given. The question we are discussing now is what has risen in value in your heart and life way beyond its true value? Is there evidence in your life and relationship that you need to consider once again the values clarifying truths of God's justifying grace. That was a mouthful. Some of these questions get a little harder to, to answer because they, they're really asking you a personal question and you don't need to get too personal when in it responding to these unless you wish to. Uh, for me, it's just appreciating the depth of God's grace and mercy for what he did to redeem me from my sins. Because when I think about each day, my attitudes, my thoughts, and how I fall short of God's standards every day, and for just selfishness, you know, it, it's, um, it's easy to think that, uh, like what Peter asked Jesus, you know, do I forgive my brother up to seven times and then that's it? But for God, there is no limit to that mercy. Um, and so that has appreciated. I appreciate that a lot. Um, and not to bring a quibble up, but uh, in the second paragraph, it, it had a weird, not a weird, a phrase that there is a little bit of contention about what that means. It, it says uh, in the second paragraph, the things that Jesus endured, public sh pain, shame on the cross, and then the phrase, the rejection of his own father. And I want to get in a debate, but I know there is some debate over whether, whether that truly, if the Father really did reject Jesus himself, only because is Jesus a sinner that had been forsaken by God, but anyway, I don't ever, but there's just a question that comes up in circles.
Um, I was thinking along the line as Stephen. Um, I'm an overthinker, and um, it gets me in a lot of trouble. But I do praise God for his great mercy and his mercies that are new every morning. And just having to remind myself that his mercies are new every morning. And in Romans 8, 1, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, um, in thinking of um, one specific instance, I there's many, but it's a daily um, surrender for me and taking every thought captive and trusting that um, he has a plan for my life. And I have an, a gracious God who allows me to repent in those moments where he convicts my heart and that I that his dying on the cross is enough to take away the shame and guilt of my sin. Because it's a daily living that out and laying it before the cross. I, I love what uh, the, the author was saying about losing your gospel mind. Like, that is a great one-liner I think that I'm going to keep on. And I was thinking about how do I lose my gospel mind? And I think for me it's it's just allowing um, outcomes to be to to become you know overvalued in my head, especially you know when I think about things that didn't maybe didn't turn out the way I thought they should turn out or how are turning out, and yet God is still you know all the things that He says about us you know um, are are true. You know we're redeemed. We're we're part of a new family. You know, all of those identity statements are, are true, and, and those are the things that, that I should be valuing as opposed to letting, letting outcomes or unfulfilled outcomes become over, overblown or overstated. Well, this next section is way too long to finish entirely in the time we have lived, but we'll read as far as we can, and then you can finish the rest of it once we get home and there's some discussion questions that you can ask yourself uh, after you've done that. So we're going to talk about defense. If you're the recipient of God's justifying grace, you can expect to be under attack. The Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion searching around for someone to eat next. It is a scary but vital warning. Although justifying grace has given us peace with God, the world we live in is not at peace. Spiritual war rages all around us. Even the most mundane moments are complicated by the spiritual war. There will be a day when this war will cease. On that day, there will be no more temptation and there will be no more marauding enemy. But that day is yet to come. So today, we must live with our eyes open and hearts ready to defend ourselves against both the ordinary and extraordinary attacks of the enemy. There is no greater defense against the lies of the enemy which are meant to weaken your faith and your resolve than the truth of the doctrine of justification. Let me explain. Satan has two things in your life that he works with. First, he works with your ongoing sin, weakness, and failure. When you sin, failing to live up to God's clearly revealed standards, he comes with he comes with your ongoing now, sorry. He comes close to you and says, 
Maybe you are not one of God's children after all. Or God must be so disappointed in you. Or if God really loved you, wouldn't he help you right now do what is right? Or look at your life. Maybe everything you've believed is not as true as you thought. But you have a wonderful, powerful defense against these attacks in the doctrine of justification. Yes, you have been called to obey. Yes, you have been called to forsake everything, take up your cross, and follow your Savior. But the doctrine of justification tells you that your acceptance with God has not been, nor ever will be, based on the track record of your righteousness. Your acceptance with God, even on your worst, most foolish, and most rebellious days, stands on the solid rock of the perfectly righteous life and the complete penalty-paying death of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. He had completed everything that needed to be done in order to secure your eternal forgiveness and acceptance with God. There was then and there is now nothing left to do but to embrace that work by faith. Whenever Satan throws your unrighteousness at you, throw the perfect righteousness of Jesus back at him and he will flee. He knows he is defeated foe, unable to undo the completed work of Jesus on your behalf. Yes, you should quest every day to live a more godly life. You should place yourself daily before the perfectly accurate mirror of the Word of God to see all of those places where you still need to grow in grace. But you cannot listen to any attack that devalues the righteousness of Christ given over to your account, which connects the degree of righteousness to your acceptance with God. You are eternally accepted, not because you are righteous and worthy, but because Jesus is righteous and worthy on your behalf. When you fall short, confess your sin, commit yourself to repentance, and then get up and celebrate the internal standing you have with God based on the righteous life and substitutionary death of Jesus. There is a second thing that Satan will use to weaken your faith and your resolve. It is the mystery of God's sovereignty. In these moments when life is difficult and suffering is near, he will come to you and say, where is your God now? Or, I thought God loved you. Would a loving God let this happen to you? Or maybe God has abandoned you. Maybe his promises aren't trustworthy after all. Or maybe God doesn't have the power to help you that he had, he had said he had. Once again, your best defense against these attacks is the doctrine of justification. Because of what Jesus has done for you, there is nothing in heaven and earth that can separate you from God's love. Difficulty in your life is never a sign of God's unfaithfulness, weakness, or neglect. Instead, these hard things become tools of redeeming love in your life. I love how Paul ends his discussion of the sufferings we all deal with in this groaning world. Take time to drink in the words of Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. <clears throat> Sorry. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. 
more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's probably a good place to, to stop at um, because there is a break there. But uh, our Trust that you will finish reading this at, at home this afternoon and that you will read the questions to ponder that are at the end of your handout there. And um, I think the one last statement that I'd like to read out of that is, may we remember justifying grace and in remembering, continue to be transformed by how deep it is, how wide it is, and how it reaches to every aspect of our lives. Let's, end, let's close in a word of prayer now. Thank you, Lord, for your gift of justification and the expression of love that it reflects for us. Help us to apply daily what you have spoken to us today. Forgive us of our sin and help us to live the life that you want for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.